feel you are being victimized or extorted by this prisoner, please contact GTL Customer Service at 855-466. All subject matter in the preceding podcast is entirely alleged and not admissible in a court of law. A recklessly minimal effort has been taken to change the names and details of any guilty parties. And just in case you rat bastards get any ideas, the hosts of this podcast are notorious and well-documented liars with no legally admissible credibility. This is Mama C, and you're listening to Notes from the Pin Podcast. Welcome to prison, bitch. And greetings from the prison industrial complex. This is Jeremy, captain of this ship, steering the boat here. Of course, everybody knows who I got on the line. It's Bobby. What's up, Bobby? What's happening? Hello, everybody. So, Bobby uh, has has got with me earlier today in our pre-show phone call and he's been he's got um he's got some kind of heavy topic that's on his mind and i think it's a great topic that we should discuss or at least uh just bring out into the light so that other people can you know let it roll around in their noodle a little bit and it, it has to do with the phenomenon um of of addiction and drug culture and how we treat it in the united states and then what the inevitable outcomes are, and they're not good. So, Bobby, you uh, you want to expound on that? Yeah. Um, I don't. There's probably not many people out there currently that don't have some sort of connection or, or experience with addiction, whether it's in like family member or friends or whatever it is. And um, you know, we've kind of talked about this. One of the reasons that I think this podcast has been successful so far and, and has some potential is that the curiosity, your curiosity and your intuitive nature and and just both of our ability to, you know, to kind of notice little things that maybe some people wouldn't notice, you know, is both going to be a reason that this thing's successful, but also a source of maddening frustration for us at times. I know for me it is. And um, coming to prison, it took a little while to realize it, but uh, I, I noticed uh, an unintended consequence, not only unintended, I think an unrecognized consequence of the criminalization of addiction in America. And I got to a point where I said, I don't think anyone fucking notices this. And first, begrudgingly, I was like, shit, I probably have to write an article about this or something because I don't think anyone knows. And one of the things that happens when you come to prison, I, I noticed it took about a year or two to notice that and I was I was one of these people when you come to prison as an addict right even if you're on like opioid maintenance or you were white knuckling it or whatever a lot for a lot of people prison is the first time that they're they're they've been sober for any stretch stretch of time coming from county then quarantine and then touching on your a, a prison right so if you're a capable addict if if you have qualities that are redeemable or or could be used to, to be productive members of society, except you're an addict. When you come to prison, a lot of times you, you rediscover or you discover for the first time all these latent qualities that you have. And if they're good, if they're like, if you're charismatic, you're intelligent, you know, um, you're disciplined, you're hardworking, 
if you discover all these these talents, and I've seen it happen to a lot of people when they first come to prison, addicts who are who were bleary eyed for most of their life and now seeing a little clearly, they start finding all these latent abilities that they have, and it's noticed by people. When when you come to prison, you're watched. And one of the things that happens is organizations, gangs, notice those same qualities in the people, and they go, man, he's charming or whatever. He's disciplined, hardworking, smart. he's a smart guy, he knows how to move. Those qualities that are, that are, are newly shining in those people are noticed by gangs, and they're used as basis for recruitment. And so the, so the addicts that come here that, you know, I don't know how to put this fucking kindly, that probably were fuck-ups in other ways other than addiction. You know what I mean? Like, they're not exactly the brightest. They don't get recruited. Right. right? But the best and the brightest who have been capable except for addiction, when they come to prison, when their addiction is treated criminally and instead of rehabilitatively, and they we send them to a place like prison, one of the first things that happens if they're if they have qualities, redeemable qualities, they're recruited by gangs. And um, once that happens, they instead of being focused on things they should be probably focused on because there's not there's not a lot of rehabilitative shit going on in here. There's superficial two dimensional programming and shit, but it's the way it's run is ridiculous, and uh, it's not fixing anyone. And so those people. I've seen it happen in here. They, they, instead of learning skills and qualities to bring out into the world to be productive, to capitalize on, on their latent abilities, they get face tattoos and they learn to gangbang with those positive traits. And then they, and many of them take them back out to suburbs or, or rural areas that would have never had gangbang, you know, gang recruitment. And they bring that culture out there. And so I, I started realizing, I said, holy shit, like, our society's uncompassionate approach to addiction is is almost like an asshole beating the shit out of a dog and then getting bit by a dog and then being like, why did this dog bite me? And and it this process isn't good for the guy who gets bit and it's not good for the fucking dog, right? But I don't think anyone was recognizing that. And I seen that and I said, holy shit, like this is like this karmic uh, uh, paying out of karma of this misunderstanding of the separateness or, or the illusion of separateness of people and, and subcultures and groups in society. When we're all, when we're in a society, we're all part of the same thing. And it's just like anything in the world, an ecosystem, it's all fucking connected. So, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because, uh, I think not enough people know about that, that that's yeah. going on in here, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I don't. I, I kind of think it doesn't just go on there, uh, which I, of course it does. And and since you've brought it to my attention, when you think about it, you know how how stupid are we as a society where someone has addiction problems, they do something stupid, uh, you know, they go try to rob a pharmacy or something, you know, that's based in their addiction, uh, and then they get thrown into a prison uh, where they get sobered up, get a little bit more clear eyed. And then get recruited by organizations and gangs to to learn how to be a a, a better but worse criminal. And then you know after their second parole's up or whatever, they get shipped back to their mom's house to live in the basement on a cul-de-sac in the suburbs. 
So now you got somebody who's who's affiliated, uh, maybe isn't a bad person at heart, but you know isn't isn't you know is worse off for the community than when they went in. Right. And and to boot those people who aren't bad people at their nature, it's the first time that anyone recognized and acknowledged some of their positive qualities. And and I, I listen. Well, another thing about this whole warts and all thing, you know, I had this perspective too before I came down. But the idea that these organizations are inherently evil and bad and just—if that was the case, no one would become part of them. They're not like that. They're they're flawed in their ability to carry out the shit that they're supposed to carry out. But when you first come to prison, the allure to those organizations are, and this is like subconsciously, I believe, um, I don't know how many people are actually aware of it. It's, it's a way in a place where you have absolutely no control. It's a way to exercise some control. And by that, I mean, you're, you have literally laws, policies, and principles that you have to live by, right? So in a place where you can't control who you're, who, who you, who you're around, right, in the, in the larger sense, you can control the conduct of the people in your group because you don't have time at every prison to go meet everybody and find out everyone's true nature and core beliefs and, and morals and all that shit. So this provides like a structure to ensure that there is already an agreed upon moral standard and there's shit like no stealing, no extortion. Um, you know, the, the, the rules aren't bogus, they aren't bogus shit. They're like honorable shit, really. You know what I mean? And they're mm-hmm. woven in with the convict culture, right? So they're like, respect is one of them. And if you're disrespected, you have to do something about it. But they're not this mindless, like, yeah, we're going to go do all, all this, that, and the other thing. So when those people you're talking about go back out to the suburbs, they've actually found some sort of meaning in family that otherwise isn't provided in our society in general. And then that's the whole cycle of, like, where addiction comes from and all that shit. So when they get out, they've got a little bit of street cred. They know the structure and organization of something that they almost never had before, and they spread it out there. Now, the fault of this is, is that these, these laws, principles, or, or the guiding principles of these organizations turn out to be faulty, and the people involved don't uphold them, right? So then, then what are you doing? Then it just deteriorates into the negative things you, you assume about those organizations. But to paint it with a broad brush one-dimensionally does, is, does everyone a disservice because you don't understand, right? Like out there, I would never understand. Why would someone even join an organization? But in here, it's different. It's not like you think. It's not this big evil thing. It's like this camaraderie brotherhood, and it takes a while from being in it to go, oh, it's not what it's supposed to be, though. You know what I mean? It's not constant Mad Max shit? No, not at all. There's actually, it's actually a way, it's like an extension of the convict culture that we were talking about recently. It's a way to ensure a certain type of behavior by you and the members. You know, and then there's policy, like if someone steps outside of the boundaries, gets caught stealing. Now we're left to discipline our own. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, yeah, there's a lot of layers to all that. I didn't know we were going down that road. But what I did know is um, of the uh, of the copious amounts of notes I took before we, um, before we started this, which is uh, I literally jotted down like three uh, phrases 
One of them, uh, addiction and substance abuse is, of course, near and dear to our hearts, you know, me and Bobby. And then uh, I also wrote down, and this is w- without discussing it with Bobby, that every family has and knows of um, someone, you know, even if it's not in your direct family, you know, a neighbor or your cousin or, you know, that that suffers from these type of things. So I would like to uh, thank you for um, taking my couple little uh, things to talk about away from me in like the first five minutes, but that's all right. I'm not bitter about it whatsoever. <laughs> all right. Well, it's just good that this phone call is about to cut off so I can let you simmer in your fucking resentment for five minutes. It takes <laughs> for me to call back. <laughs> uh, cool. Call back and we're going to, we're going to elaborate. I'll be here sulking. All right. We'll just crack a window. <laughs> all right. And we're back. A quick reminder to anybody listening, uh, Bobby only gets 15-minute phone calls, and then he has to get back in the phone call line. Typically, when we talk, uh, you know, at 1 to 2 p.m., somewhere like now, the line isn't very long. If he were to call me back later tonight after chow at, like, 6 o'clock, he might have to stand in line for a half hour. How long do you have to stand in line? Um, no, just the five minutes. Like one opened up, and then I had to sit on this phone to wait five minutes to call back. So not not long at all. Okay, great. So I don't think we need to reset the table. We're talking about how jacked up uh, addiction uh, protocols are, or just how we treat addiction, and how it really does no service to the community. Uh, but I, I've got uh, two two other points. The first one's a quick one, and then the second one is um, it's uh, really a question. And the second uh, point it, we could probably do a whole episode on, but I at least have to touch on it because it's it's something that needs to be asked. But first of all, um, all right, so are you you know kind of loosely you know kind of telling an autobiography here? I mean, you know, uh, a substance abuser. Uh, that's charming, disciplined, finds sobriety. Yeah, um, I, I didn't say that, <laughs> but I then, then gets recruited. But then he gets recruited and finds a family and purpose in a place where there really isn't any connection, and then kind of finds a little bit of the hypocrisy uh, after years, and then has to fall back. No. Nope. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's what happened. Um, and it really made me disheartened, right, to see how there, how few people in my circumstance not wake up. Almost everyone my age wake, wakes up to the to the fallacies involved. But how many refuse to act on it? It's so much easier to stay a part of something. And and do it halfway, then to go. Nope, nope. This isn't. You know, um, very few people have done what I did and and been able to step away and still be in good stand. You know what I mean? And not have to worry about problems between. The, you know what I mean? Yeah, you've covered that before, though. That you're still well received by your old group. They still got love for the kid. Yeah. yeah. And um, it made me just say, like, what a fucking waste. Like, there's. Because especially if you've been a, you know, basically everyone, if someone in your family has been an addict or if you've been an addict, you know that there are great fucking human beings who happen to have the disease of addiction. And 
what's the what's the current way that that we seem to be dealing with, and it's it's changing. I'll admit that it's starting to change. Has is has been to throw them away, and where the void created by the compassionless dealings we have or responses we have to addiction, other other less productive groups step in, and then it's like you give up on somebody, and 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 then they're forced to be like, well, I, I guess I'm now on this thing now. And it's, uh, but here's the, see, I've spent a lot of time thinking about all that. Right. And a little less. And I, you know, we, this would be more of a, just a straight up conversation with you and, and everyone listening is what do we do though? Like, what's the solution? Cause this clearly isn't fucking working. You don't, the point is to deter behavior, right? With something like addiction, they're not thinking logically when, when you're acting on addiction. You know, if you could explain away addiction, no one would be a fucking addict, really. Right? So what what do you do? And I, and the, I don't know the full answer, but, you know, it would seem, right, I think you'd agree, like, alternatives, treatment, inpatient, outpatient, um, but definitely not abandoning people or, or putting a felony on their fucking name to where they... Uh, they can't, it's harder for them to get a job and they're stigmatized and, you know, they come out worse than they went in, right? Right. Well, the, what's the name of the piece you wrote? You wrote a piece about this. What's the name of it? It's called From Junkies to Gangbangers. Yeah, but that, about this very, that, that seems so apropos. Like, that's right on the nose. I mean, you, 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 you're, you come, you, you, you're, you're an addict, you're a junkie, and then you get sent to, uh, prison because society doesn't know how to deal with your problems and then all of a sudden you got a face tat and um you know you're a gangbanger and then and then you get sent back to mom's house and you know uh, I'm not saying that everybody who's in a, a, a an organization is a bad person uh or even has malintent but you've got a marking on your face that's telling any rival you know that you're a rival and that just seems like you know yeah. th- th- there's you know, inherent violence could ensue just on that basis alone. That's, and if we're going to... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and not only that, it's it's creating little, like, splinter cells to to raise these um, these little cells of the groups of these or, this organization into places that otherwise wouldn't be... There'd never be... I mean, if, you, if you're bumfucked Egypt or wherever you are, um, that's some rural area... You're not going to have people from the, uh, the Latin Kings out there recruiting people. But when you send people to prison where everyone mixes and then they go back to that area, they bring that with them. And so a lot of these areas that are really like law and order, tough on crime, bullshit, they're the ones that are getting bit by the dog that they're, that they're beating. You know what I mean? And, and then it's, no one wins. That's the last thing those areas need. Any area needs, right? But that's what's happening. Well, that, that's, uh, I would love to segue uh, from any area, uh, but before I do, I would like to point out that if we're going to look at um, solutions or alternatives, I mean, people have to study what Portugal has done. I mean, they've been, I think it's, I think it's almost two decades worth of, um, I might be wrong about that, but uh, I feel like it's at least one decade where they've yeah. decriminalized drugs and all, all the all the bad numbers have came down, you know, suicides or, or violent crime because of drugs or any of that type of thing. And all the good numbers have gone up, like less addiction, less 
bad girl, you know, less addicts, you know, because they, they're open about it. So they can get help when necessary or when they're ready to receive the help. But the segue I wanted to go from, you know, it's not good in any community, but how much, I mean, to me, we're talking about the suburbs. So we're basically talking about white people or, you know, suburbia. But, how, I mean, how detrimental do you think this is to the uh, black uh, communities in urban areas? So, you know, um, I've spent some time listening to this officer from Baltimore. Uh, he, he's retired now. His name's Michael A. Woods, Jr., and he was a Baltimore cop. First, he was a Marine. Then he wanted to be a cop his whole life. So first, he went to the Marine Corps. Then he went and became a cop. And he tells the most horrible stories, uh, you, you know, where basically he would shake down black men that were 16 to 24 years old, and hopefully they would have some drugs on them, and hopefully they would run or start a car chase, you know, so he could, you know, mess them up a little bit, you know, and put them in the system. And that now they're, you know, whether they had addiction problems to begin with or not, you know, if, if let's say they did, let's say they're the type of person that's in your scenario. I mean, that's got to be affecting the black community as well, right? Yeah, I, I think that the specific um, observation I made about gang, uh, gang, uh, gang recruitment and other and people who would otherwise be distant enough from us to not have to worry about it, I think they're affected less by that, but they're affected infinitely more by the damage being incarcerated or being ground up in the system does because, and this affects everyone, but it's just a concentration of, of, of the inner city and, and minorities because a lot of the gangs are already in their neighborhoods, right? It doesn't mean that they don't come here and also, you know, but they've already been exposed to that. Right. What what the the drug the criminalization of drugs in general, addiction and drug dealing, you know, you drive you make something illegal, you drive it underground into the black market. It's the same with prostitution, it's the same with drugs. And you know, I've waffled on, on these things. Like there's there's some that I'm like, Well, you can't really have meth legal only because people go nuts off fucking meth and they don't they're paranoid and they shoot their sister because they think she's like spying on them. But in the same context, making it illegal doesn't stop it. They're still using meth, and it's the same with prostitution. But to answer your question, I cannot overstate the damage that being caught up in the system does to communities of color and inner city communities because, you know, I mean, it's obvious. This has been stated ad nauseum. You know, you, you remove people from the workforce, from a family um, you know, from a brother, sister, father role that, that you would be an integral part of that family, of that community, of all that stuff. You put them in here. You do everything you can to ensure that they just fall into their own vices in here. And when they get out, you expect them to be better. And then you create every fucking rule and policy contrary. Now, that doesn't mean there's not personal responsibility in some of these circumstances, but how many of these, there is also something, how many people have been so conditioned that they're kind of limited. You know what I mean? Yeah, and think about how yeah. how circular this goes because then you think about uh, cops killing, you know, um, black dudes that are reaching for their uh, their you know their concealed carry permit because the officer asked them to, but then he reaches too fast and then 
Philandro Castillo gets murdered in front of his kid and his his girl, you know, because you he might be one of these people that was an addict from an inner city, got sent to prison, got in with the the Bloods or the Crips or whatever, then came back. So now he's a little bit more dangerous. But oh God, just this, the whole circle, it doesn't make any sense. It needs to be broken. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I just lost my train of thought. But yeah, you're abs- you're absolutely right. The whole the whole the whole thing's fucked. The whole thing's fucked, and it's it's tough to be on the inside and, and witness witness it, you know. And I think what more people out in the world don't realize, and I think it would benefit them to realize, is that this shit doesn't exist in a bubble. Not when you're in a society with people. So not out of a bleeding heart liberalism, even if that's your reason, of course, compassion is a beautiful reason, but even if that's not your thing, right, and you're right-wing or tough-on-crime type shit, even from that perspective, when if you're not going to kill us in here, right, if we're eventually going to get out, you should want us, you need us to be better when we get out, not worse, because we're coming back out to society. And it may be before the criminalization of addiction, you could keep it all cycling in the inner city, but not now. Not now. People are getting out. These young white kids are getting out, and they're coming out to your community, and they're bringing this mentality out there, a mentality garnered in a place that was created in your name, whether you purposely or knowingly had a, had a, a part in the, the design of this place. You vote for people that make this place and then go back to watching the Kardashians or whatever they're doing, and things are done in your name. And, and I'm guilty of that too, right? Other than the fact that I didn't vote a lot. <laughs> but uh, that's also done in my name because I'm not voting. You know what I mean? And uh, it's just, it's, just a t- it's like watching this train wreck happen, this continual process of this train wreck happen from in here and go, no one's paying attention. To the causes of the of the train wreck, I know that's not fair. I don't want to say no one is, but it's painful to watch from in here and, and to also be a part of it, but to understand the mentality when I wasn't and, and all that stuff, you know. Man, preach! Yeah, you that was that was terrific. I mean, to think uh, as as a voter, uh, as John Q. Public, uh, whether you're right wing, left wing, uh, no wing, wh- whatever. Um, to think, oh, this guy says he's going to get tough on crime, and my neighbor's house just got busted into. So that means my house could be could be next. So this guy's talking; he wants to be tough on crime, and you know, oh, I support that. You know, uh, it, so then you you actively take place in it, but the the way it's administered is completely screwed up. And the war on drugs, I mean, can we say that's failed? Oh my God! It failed, failing, destroyed. You know, um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to get back in line. There's, I remembered what I wanted to say, and I think it's important. And then we're also going to link to a, a piece I wrote. It's called uh, "The Reformation of American Incarceration and Inmates' Perspective," and it deals with all this stuff. Like what you know, everyone talks about the problems, but this is a piece written about the solutions. You can get that on notes from the pen.com. All right, call, call me back, and we'll have a conclusion, and then we'll take uh, Chris's questions. All right. All right, so you have um, your uh, Dr. Phil-style final thoughts, or at least 
Sorry, I had to. Uh, you have at least one more point that uh, we're going to wrap this uh, discussion about uh, going from addiction to gangbanger because of prison uh, and then getting let back out. You had one more point? Yeah, well, this isn't this is this isn't um, as directly related, but it's definitely tangentially related. Um, and you, when you brought up like some of the stuff that's going on, like with um, the Black Lives Matter, the reasons for the Black Lives Matter shit going on right now across the country, you know, um, indiscriminate treatment and abuse of power by by police officers and shit like that. Um, I've said this before, but I've never said this on the podcast, and that is. It, this is a wonderful thing, right? It is great to see people so fed up of something that's been long overdue that they refuse to just sit down and wait for the do-nothing politicians, you know, and the gears, the slow-moving, if moving at all, gears of government do nothing, and they're just tired of it, and they stand up, and they're like, listen, we want change, and we want it now. And you see, like, holy shit, like, we, have we always had this power? Yeah, we've always had this power, but I want to say this, that as much as I love it and as much as it's needed, we as Americans have this this short short memory when it comes to, to things like this, and it's very easy to go, oh, yeah, well, they did this, that, and the other thing uh, for uh, police reform and shit, so, like, now we're all good, everything's good. And I wanted, you know, I think in metaphors, like, that's one of my uh, probably annoying qualities, but also an ability to like break shit down for people. And I, I realized, I thought, I thought this about, I said, um, I thought abused kids are treated best when companies around, right? Like piece of shit parents don't really beat their kids too much in front of company. But if they do beat their kids in front of company, imagine what is going on behind closed doors. And that's what this George Floyd Breonna Taylor. That's what all this, this shit is beating their kids in front of company. This is, it's all, make no mistake, the police in this scenario are not separate from the long arm of criminal justice. They are just the most visible aspect of it, right? They're just the part that the public deals with and that the public sees, right? The next step removed is court, Right? Is the criminal actual the justice part of the system? Is the court, the DA, the prosecutors overcharging to get plea bargains, um, extreme sentences, mandatory minimum, no good time, all these other things, right? And that is that is slightly more removed from the public eye, but not totally. And that's corrupt as fuck. But when you get back to prisons, which is closed door in that abusive house at night when no one's over, that's what prison is. So for don't for a second think that that shit ends there, that the corruption ends there. That's just what you're seeing. If you're seeing that and they're beating their kids in front of a company like that, imagine what's going on at the other removed layers of in the darkness. And that's we're in the deepest part of that. I'm in the deepest part of that is the prison aspect. And family members of people in prison learn real fast, like, holy shit, I was so wrong about prison. And that's one of the things this podcast is about. You know, is to to connect. You know, I, I like to describe it as you building half the bridge from the free world over the wall, and then I build the other half of the bridge from another stupid metaphor from prison. And we and you know, this is where ideas and experiences go over that bridge. And I just wanted to make that point because you reminded me of it that this shit doesn't stop at listening to a podcast. I mean, it can for you, but it shouldn't stop at listening to a podcast or reading a couple pieces of mine. Um, 
and I don't know what extent you should go to. I mean, that's up to you to figure out, to figure out. But you know, I just want to want to congratulate or show show my appreciation for the shit America's doing about police brutality. But I also want to stop the hand before it pats itself on the back about it and think everything's done because it's not. And that's just one part of it. And the much deeper, long, longer lasting, uh, much more widespread affecting more people is the people whose lives, they might not be killed out there on the streets in front of people, but entire communities and families destroyed by the way we're choosing to deal with quote unquote criminal behavior. And I also want to say that prisons are necessary to an extent, but the functions of prisons need to change. There are people that absolutely have to be in here. You cannot let them out currently. But shit has to change with what's happening in here. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to make that point before uh, we went on to Christopher's questions. Yeah, I think we can move on to Christopher's questions because uh, I think you articulated that so well. Uh, I would do it no justice. I would um, drive the boat onto an oyster reef. Uh, if I, if I, Hey, I get to play the metaphor game too. Uh, if I even get anywhere near it. So, uh, this is, uh, questions. I love it when questions of the day are related to the topic. Uh, that didn't happen on the, in this case. So, uh, you know, frowning face emoji on that end of it, but they are good questions. On to the oyster bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is Chris in the St. Pete area. Uh, and I apologize, Chris. I know you don't live directly in St. Pete. Uh, I know it's somewhere by Tampa, but maybe a little bit north, Oldsmar. I, I don't know. I, I'd be only guessing. So Chris wants to know, uh, how much Internet is allowed? Zero. No Internet. We cannot be trusted. And I understand why we'd ruin it. As soon as they gave it to us, there would be some weirdo in there trying to chat a fucking five-year-old up into sending them new pics. So none. Okay, but you can receive emails, but they're called JPays, uh, yeah. and they cost us a dollar, and then we can put another dollar in to get a reply. What more um, exploitation? So uh, twenty five cents for one, but yeah, fuck them. It's uh, all it's all made up, anyways. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I I thought stamps were a dollar, and because of COVID, I put a hundred dollars worth of stamps on my. JPay, and they gave me 110 stamps because uh, it's COVID time, so they're going to hook me up <laughs> for, no. for, with an no, extra free. 20, no, you put $20 on. You can't put $100 on. Oh, maybe I'm you getting... You got 100 stamps for 20 bucks, yeah. That's probably accurate. Don't ever put $100 on stamps. Well, I'll, be, I'll have to catch another prison sentence to finish me. Yeah, well, I get it confused with the phone calls because the phone calls is like, it is 100 bucks. Yeah. Uh, okay, and uh, can you look up news and stuff? Yeah, nope. Again, nope. That's all uh, related to the Internet. Um, we can get periodicals, magazines, newspapers, if they're sent directly from the publisher, and then we're left to, like, uh, PBS News, CNN, and uh, Fox News, all that type of shit on TV. But even if I did send you a newspaper from the publisher, you wouldn't get it till two weeks from, you know, from the day I sent it, at least. I mean, it wouldn't even be news anymore. Yeah, it wouldn't be. I would have already caught the distorted version of it on uh, whatever. So are you uh, able to listen to Pandora or Spotify or even this podcast? 
I can be, apparently I can be on it, right? But I can't listen to it, no. I can't. I wish, uh, I have this reoccurring dream, and I hesitate to call it a nightmare, where I somehow have a cell phone or a laptop. You know, on dreams, nothing ever works out, right? Your fingers aren't working or shit. I'm trying to look up, uh, download podcasts to listen to. And um, when I was out there, you had to download, back in my day, you had to download podcasts. Apparently, they're not uh, in the cloud now or, or whatever. But streaming. I'm trying to do, and I, I can't, yeah, I can't ever type in the Joe Rogan experience correctly on the whatever it is. So, no, we don't get to listen to that. And uh, uh, so how do you listen to music? Um, the wonderfully benevolent company that uh, does our JPay quote-unquote email system has a music catalog that you go down there and you pay... $2 a song is the average for a songs to download, but and you can download albums. I probably got mm, 530 songs on my tablet, and then I have an old player. They switched servers. I have an old, like, actual, like, analog MP3 player with about 300 songs on it. So is that, that's how you do it. it. So your tablet has most of your music. You can buy it periodically, but it costs a, a, a buck or two per song. Do is now that you're in level one and people are just coming up or like just got to prison and they're only doing like a year or two, is it uh, sort of a weird flex from you when you're like, yeah, dude, I got like 500 something on my tablet. And they're like, oh my God, I only have 30 songs. Can I listen to some of yours? Absolutely. But it goes more like this. It got yell over to Hollywood, my, uh, my teenage neighbor. I go, yeah, um, <clears throat> how many songs you got on your tablet there? Me? Yeah, you. I don't know, like 112, and then uh, I sniff as loud as possible. I go, that's cool. And I tell him I have uh, whatever I got, 525 or something. So it absolutely is a play. Yeah, absolutely. He wants to borrow it all the time. And I let him, but, you know, I uh, type all my shit on there, and I have all like, not full novels I've written saved. It's another flex. Uh, saved in a calendar, so my shit's a bit wonky. Most people replace their tablets after six months to a year. I've had mine for four years and I'm just Frankensteining, fixing it because I can't, if I get a new one, I'll lose all the shit I have saved in my calendar. So he's not allowed to borrow anymore. But that is how you get to listen to music. Are there any instrument programs available? Yeah, they have music rooms. Um, when I was at Carson City Max in level four, you could actually go over there to the gym and they play, but um, they let you play that drums, guitars, keyboards, all that stuff. Same with... Um, Oh, good, good. Kinross, and then now this place. So, uh, yeah, they've got, they have, they have uh, probably shut played. They'll do concerts sometimes. Probably shut down for Corona? Oh, absolutely. There's no, uh, there's no Corona ballads being written right now, or performed, anyways. Uh, even though everybody's already got the antibodies and already had it, because, you know. I just want to get in the fucking way, dude. That's all. Just let me go in the goddamn way. Good. I've got my paperwork that says antibody positive. Just let me go. I got call outs. Just let me go. I'm looking at the way that right now. Just, just wait. Just plates rusting together, doing nothing over there. This is like my biggest. When the next annoyingly positive Bobby podcast is going to be uh, you, when the way that opens. <laughs> oh man, I just got to overhear some of the uh, the dude next to you. And uh, I swear he just said, I love you, Mom. Okay, bye. He did. Yeah, that's fucking, I don't know. That gets me a little choked up. Um, 
Final question from Chris. Chris is a basketball player, uh, and he wants to know about the basketball court. Probably also closed down for Corona. But uh, when it's not closed down for Corona, uh, how many uh, do a lot of people use it, and are some people prohibited? Well, at the last spot I was at, it was just constantly um, in front of the. Uh, we had A through H units, and there was one, two, three, four. Five. There's there's eight basketball court. Uh, courts in front of each there's a basketball court in front of each unit and then in the gym they had a basketball court and it was played all day every day even if there was like still a little bit of snow on the court here in front of the the unit there's three basketball courts really only two usable ones no one really use, well people do use them but because of corona there's no they're not letting us but the gym gets used a lot more over here for basketball and stuff and uh i'll play occasionally but uh you know, basketball gets, I try to keep myself out of situations. I can be a competitive asshole who, who, um, if I get shoulder, ch- it's just this risk versus reward. That's one of those risk versus reward things for me. I have to know everyone I'm playing with. Play basketball. And are some people prohibited? Oh, um, I mean, not officially, but there's not too many people with those cases, as we say, with one of them cases playing. There's one specifically with kids. Yeah, no chose. Yeah. Do you ever think that would be politically incorrect? Do what? Do you think Chomo might get a political correctness? Yeah, at some point. Like, how dare you? They're pedophiles or whatever. They're gonna. They're uh. They're youth aficionados. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. I I I think Chomo is gonna be okay for a while. I don't think a lot of people have compassion for kid touchers. Yeah. Yeah, well, definitely not in here. So, uh, yeah, they're not really, uh, they, they're really good. Their, their wheelhouse is, uh, horseshoe. They'll go over there. I, I told you before I was the best non-child molester <laughs> at, uh, horseshoes at, when I was at Oaks. <laughs> yeah, I, good. I think it's weird, but they're not told institutionally they can't play hoop, but they just can't go be around those people. That's a risk versus reward that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, they know better. Yeah, fuck them anyway. So, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to Chris and everyone else that has been giving us feedback and reaching out to us, leaving comments and sending questions in. You know, um, I know to you guys it's just just a a few seconds of uh, curiosity maybe or reaching out, but uh, and maybe that's not all it is, but I know to a lot of you there's no way you could understand what it means to me in here to, to feel like I'm still part of society and that, this place hasn't succeeded in silencing me and uh, for you guys to be a part of me and Jeremy reconnecting and just it's, I can't overstate how important it is and how much it means to me and how much hope and inspiration it gives me to hear from you guys and people from Europe and India and, and Poland and Australia. I mean, all over the world, I, I hear you guys. And just because you're not messaging me directly, I get that stuff on JPay and, and I hear you, and I feel you guys, and I love you guys, and I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the questions, Chris, and anyone else who's uh, taking part in this, because this doesn't work without you guys. And so this will fail or succeed based on uh, all of us pitching in. So thank you. Yeah, and let me jump in here real quick. Uh, Twitter, Freddy Schnurd sees you. Your questions are going to be in the next pod. Right, and... um if you want to follow notes from the pen, 
on Twitter to get questions in. And uh, you can drop by the website and leave a comment somewhere. We're setting something up like that. So um, it's been brought to our attention that there's not a, just a direct way to uh, get stuff to us. So, so yeah, thanks. This inmate's daily allotted time for personal human connection has expired. You may try again tomorrow. And remember, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Day. <laughs>